Hi, I'm Meredith Cleary and welcome to Market Matters. I'm part of the FIC Market Structure team here at JP Morgan. And in today's episode, I'm joined by Kate Finlayson, Global Head of FIC Market Structure, and also Barnaby Hodgkins, who's an associate in the team. Welcome guys, how are you both doing? Doing well, thanks Meredith. Yeah, good, good to be here. We know that 2021 has been another formative year in terms of market structure, like the continued opening of China's capital markets, proposed reforms to the U.S. Treasury market structure, and progress made in the transition away from LIBOR, just to name a few things. But seeing as the year is almost up, I think it would be really great to have a discussion on some of the topics on our radar going into 2022. In one of our previous episodes on Market Matters, the team looked at blockchain's market impact. Kate, it seems like there are a lot of moving parts in the digital asset space. Could you give us a bit of insight into the regulatory direction of travel there? Sure, you're quite right in that there are many various components to the digital asset ecosystem. And this is a relatively short episode, so if I just touch on a couple. Our team are actively covering the evolving dynamics around distributed ledger technology and the power of shared ledgers and programmable assets. Along with its involvement in intraday, term, and overnight repo transactions, as well as securities issuance, we're seeing the application of blockchain technology in the broader financial market infrastructure. More recently, the spotlight has fallen on digital currencies. And within that space, we're seeing quite a bit of development and discussion around central bank digital currencies, otherwise known as CBDCs, where governments around the world have launched trials to explore the use of CBDCs to facilitate, amongst other things, cross-border settlements. In July, JP Morgan's Onyx unit supported a simulated multiple CBDC experiment with the central banks of France and Singapore. And over in the US, the Fed will be producing a much-anticipated report on new forms of digital money. And we're also looking out for a paper by the Boston Fed, which looks at the technical challenges that need to be addressed when building a CBDC as part of a multi-year research project with MIT. So we're clearly seeing a variety of live initiatives. And there's also been a lot of focus in the U.S. around stablecoins recently. Right. So as it stands, there's not a widely accepted definition of these coins. But according to the Financial Stability Board, they're a crypto asset that aims to maintain a stable value based on an asset, like the U.S. dollar or a basket of assets. And they're increasingly being used for payment purposes to facilitate crypto trading and also lending because they allow users to store funds without having to convert them to a fiat currency. Barnaby, we recently saw a report from the President's Working Group on the regulation of these stablecoins. What stood out to you in the report? Thanks, Meredy. Yeah, so as you say, in a report released in November, the President's Working Group on Financial Markets recommended that Congress act promptly to ensure that payment stablecoins are better regulated and subject to a federal framework. In the absence of congressional action, the report calls on the Financial Stability Oversight Council to consider the steps available to bring some of these activities into scope. But for us, two things in the report really stood out. Firstly, the proposal for payment stablecoin issuers to become insured depository institutions, i.e. banks. And secondly, it states that legislation should require stablecoin issuers to comply with activities restrictions that limit their affiliation with commercial entities. What is also interesting is the extent to which certain digital assets, including stablecoins used for payments, fall under the purview of the SEC or the CFTC. The President's Working Group argues that depending on the circumstances, a stablecoin may constitute a security, commodity or even a derivative. 
So depending on how this shapes up, we could perhaps start to see US federal agencies put their rulemaking power to work sooner rather than later. Yes, and while the scope of this report is limited to stablecoins, it is clear that the Biden administration and many of these US federal agencies will continue to focus on legislation that brings more of this activity under the regulatory microscope. In a similar tone to the US federal agencies, the Bank of England said in a report published in June this year, titled New Forms of Digital Money, that payment stablecoins would be expected to face the same regulatory standards as those attached to bank deposits, but broaden the options considered for their regulation to include, for example, high-quality liquid asset requirements. And in the EU, in a recent speech by Fabio Panetta of the ECB, he stated that the rapid stablecoin developments warrant careful monitoring, as the risks could become a vehicle for money laundering and even terrorist financing. So we certainly expect more action on this topic in 2022, including developments to tackle some of the open questions that Barnaby, you spoke to. Moving on to a second global topic, the ongoing MIFID II review has put a growing focus on key market structure themes, such as the algorithmic trading, the trading venue parameter, and reworking post-trade transparency. We've just seen the European Commission release its MIFIR proposal, which could have a significant impact in the new year, since it includes the creation of a consolidated tape. Barnaby, this has obviously been a long time coming, but how significant is this proposal to post-trade transparency? Absolutely, Meredy. Yes, a long time coming. And also, as you say, something we've been monitoring for years. The report we saw from the European Commission introduces the framework for a consolidated tape, whereby ESMA has to appoint a single provider per asset class. And whilst in the US you've got Trace, this is clearly a significant development for Europe. The creation of a tape stems from the fact that the current post-trade information under MIFID II is arguably somewhat fragmented and a little difficult for investors to access. The Commission wants to ensure all market participants have a holistic view of the market, as they believe this will foster a single EU capital market and encourage further retail participation. While we welcome proposals for the creation of a consolidated tape, we also feel it's critical to ensure that the post-trade transparency regime that couples it is well calibrated to ensure it does not adversely impact market liquidity. For example, the extent to which illiquid bonds or large transactions are required to disclose their price and size in a real-time manner, this could really materially impact pricing and liquidity in these instruments. Another question that also tends to come up is the potential for regulatory divergence between the UK and the EU as these rules start to get revisited. I think it's going to be really intriguing to see how the two jurisdictions mirror or diverge one another across any number of regulatory topics next year. And also in the context of the MIFID II review, we've seen a growing number of regulators placing more attention on the scope of the trading venue perimeter and the types of activities or systems that could be encompassed here. Kate, we recently saw this reach the U.S., so do you anticipate this being a priority in the new year? Yes, as you said, Meredy, the ongoing MIFID II review shone a light on the trading venue perimeter. And ESMA's final report on the organized trading facility regime came out in April, which looked at what activity would be considered multilateral and therefore need to register as a trading venue. And the report specifically mentioned technology providers such as EMS and OMS solutions. So this could have a potentially broad-reaching impact, especially given how our clients are increasingly looking to utilize some of these technology providers, for example, to aggregate direct streams. And we've seen this topic move from the agendas of regulators in Europe to those in the UK and now the US. 
In September, the CFTC's Division of Market Oversight issued an advisory letter to essentially clarify and remind market participants of the activities that could trigger the requirement to register as SF. And included within this letter was the view that any trading technology that facilitated trading or execution of swaps through one-to-many or bilateral communications could still be considered multilateral. And Kate, just to touch on a topic that's been a big source of pushback from the industry, the mandatory buy-in regime under the CSDR. In a tweet on November 24th, Mairead McGuinness, Commissioner for European Financial Services, confirmed that the Council and Parliament had agreed to make changes to the CSDR to allow for the postponement of the mandatory buy-ins in the rule. You see, sometimes it's okay to be scrolling on Twitter during work hours. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose so. Well, this has been something that's been front and center for some time now, given the negative impact on liquidity in corporate credit, EM and repo markets. There's still a lot to be ironed out here, despite the move to allow for this postponement. And how long the delay could last for is still up for discussion. Of course, the mandatory buy-in regime is just one, albeit significant, element. The rest of the settlement discipline regime is due to go ahead in February 2022, which includes the cash penalties framework and actually quite a bit of setup required for that. So definitely not end of story there. And you mentioned credit. In our Q3 global report of this year, we set out reasons for the rapid takeoff of portfolio trading. Barnaby, what will continue to drive its popularity? Exactly, Meredith. So as you discussed, we're seeing the use of portfolio trading more than ever before as clients across the globe continue to realize the execution and price efficiencies that it offers. And we anticipate the market's prominence to only continue into 2022. While every client's motivation for using portfolio trading may be unique, we have started to note some common use cases emerging. For example, the ability to now process complex, cross-currency, cross-asset, bi-directional trades, or the emergence of market-making services in proxy baskets, for example, JP Morgan Beta 1. And of course, the use of portfolio trading to optimise your portfolios and achieve bespoke investment objectives. And on that last point, it's very interesting to us that alongside the growing demand for sustainable investing, users are now able to construct ESG-friendly baskets to meet their targets. As investors adjust their portfolios to new regulations that have been emerging, like SFDR introduced earlier this year, portfolio trading through these proxy baskets or optimization, as previously mentioned, presents an efficient tool to help facilitate these trends. So we've covered a few topics today that no doubt will be top of our list going into 2022. But these are just a sample of the broad range of themes on our radar. Kate, is there anything else we've seen shape how clients trade and interact with liquidity in the market? Well, Meredith, as you say, we cover a broad range of topics on a global basis. If I had to pick just two more, something that has been rolling out the past few years is the uncleared margin requirements, with the final phase coming up in September 2022. Phase six is the big one, as it encompasses the most counterparties impacted so far. And this is where we could see market participants adapt and potentially change their trading behavior or the products or instruments they would like to trade in order to meet the requirements. And then, of course, there's ESG. We all know this has become a larger part of financial markets, particularly in the last few years, as investors increasingly want to prioritize investments that have a sustainable component. And from our side, we're seeing regulators pay more attention to disclosures, reporting requirements, and ESG ratings. So we anticipate an increasing amount of products and trading techniques coming to the fore there. Well, thank you both so much for a great discussion on these evolving themes. 
With 2021 quickly coming to a close, I expect another active year in the market structure space. And to our listeners, stay tuned for more episodes of Market Matters. And please reach out to your sales representative if you'd like to receive any of our reports. I hope you have a great day. The views expressed in this podcast may not necessarily reflect the views of J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. and its affiliates, together J.P. Morgan, and do not constitute research or recommendation advice or an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any security or financial instrument. Referenced products and services in this podcast may not be suitable for you and may not be available in all jurisdictions. J.P. Morgan may make markets and trade as principal and securities and other asset classes and financial products that may have been discussed. The FIC market structure publications or to one newsletters mentioned in this podcast are available for J.P. Morgan clients. Please contact your J.P. Morgan sales representative should you wish to receive these. For additional disclaimers and regulatory disclosures, please visit www.jpmorgan.com forward slash disclosures.